Welcome to J Radio here on Wednesday afternoon, but for the Halakha Hour, welcome to the show. Today's show, before we begin, is sponsored by Emmanuel's Barbershop on 623 Kings Highway. And I recommend this barbershop because that's been my personal barber for the last maybe 14, 15 years. So everybody's recommended to go there. And today's class, Bezat Hashim, we are moving to the subject of Purim. You can actually watch this video. I don't know if it's live or not, but we're being videoed as well. And the halakot will be recorded on audio and video to watch on jrootradio.com. You can even listen live on jrootradio.com. And you could text in if you have any questions to the following phone number, 347-927-8398. Anybody who, have, who has any questions, you can text it in and we'll take it throughout the show. Phone calls, unfortunately... We will not be receiving phone calls today until the end of the show, which is the last 15 minutes, about 2.45, 2.50. We'll take phone calls then. If you have any questions regarding Purim, any of the halakhot, anything that we said, you could call in at 2.45. And the phone number to call in, if you want to remember from now, we'll announce it later again. 718-683-5858. If you call in now and nobody answers, I apologize, I'm sorry, but uh, I don't have anybody with me here in the studio right now to pick up the phone calls until much later on. Okay, so like we said today, class is on the Halakhot of Purim. And we're ready in the month of Adar. And especially this year, it's been, it was a leap year. It is a leap year. And when Adar Sheni, when all the mitzvot of Adar take place. So besides the Halakhot that we're going to learn, because the Ben Yishai really discusses other Halakhot that are, um, I mean, only the Halakhot that, are, that take place on Purim Day. And therefore, we will, Be'azad Hashem, discuss everything that we need to know from now until Purim itself, or really the end of Purim. Okay, we divided the class into two parts, to this week and next week. Today's class, we'll discuss the halakhot of the uh, Arba Parashiyot, the halakhot of Ta'anit Esther, Mahatzit HaShekel, which is very important to know, just to understand the concept of it. And the mitzvah of Mishloach Manot and Matanot Lebionim. That's today's class. Next week, we'll talk about the mitzvah of Mikra Megillah, of reading the Megillah, which has a lot of details. We'll talk a little bit also about the halakhot of the Saudat Purim as well. That's going to be all next week. Just to give you off the dates, just to keep in mind, they shouldn't uh, plan anything. Purim this year will fall out in exactly a week from this Sunday, which means it's going to be on March 16th, 2014. And Parashat Zachor, Shabbat Zachor, which we'll discuss later on, is going to be Parashat Tzav, which is March 15th, the day beforehand. Tanit Esther is going to be on Thursday, March 13th. It's uh, a pushed-off Tanit, as we'll discuss later on. And let's begin already discussing the Halachot of Purim, the things that we need to know for the month of Adar. There are five mitzvot to keep in mind. There are five mitzvot when it comes to the month of Adar, specifically related to Purim, and they all begin with the letter Mem. Four of these mitzvot take place exactly on Purim. You must do it on Purim itself. You cannot do it before or afterwards. And the last mitzvah the, that we're going to mention takes place right before Purim. But they all start with Mem, so that's a good way to remember. Five. One hand, five fingers, five mitzvot. And they are, let's begin, Mem, Mikra Megillah, to read the Megillah. That's mitzvah number one. Mitzvah number two, which begins with Mishloach Manot, sending gifts to other, to, to friends. Number three is Matanot Levionim, which are 
which is basically a form of tzedakah that's specific to Purim. We'll talk about that as well today. And the fourth mitzvah that's done on Purim is mem mishteh, which means a sauda, a party. This is all on Purim itself. There's a fifth mitzvah that begins with the letter mem that's related to Purim, and that's mehiyat amalek, to erase amalek. And that is fulfilled by reading Parashat Zachor. In fact, the last one, even though we put it at the end, this may have a greater obligation than the rest of the mitzvot, at least for men. Why? Because the mitzvah of Mehiyat Amalek, of reading Parashat Zachor, is an obligation midde'oraita, which means it is an obligation from the Torah, as opposed to the other mitzvot of Purim, their obligation midde'brei Kabbalah, which means that they are obligated based on the prophets, Esther and Mordechai, who are prophets themselves, they are the ones who established the holiday of Purim and all the mitzvot that take place with it. Let's get to the mitzvot or to the halachot that are relevant to the month of Adar. We'll begin first for, with something very simple, you know, just to let you know that there's something that marks the calendar. The next Sunday will be Zayin Adar. Zayin Adar is the day when Moshe Rabbeinu was born. It's also the day that Moshe Rabbeinu passed away. So you can say, okay, so what's the difference? Well, who cares? Well, yeah, it makes a difference. First of all, it's a Yorzeit. It's a very important Yorzeit. Important Yorzeit for all of us. But besides that, there are actually special tikkunin that are brought down. If you're Sfaradi and you have the tikkun that we read on Lel Shabbat or on Lel Hoshana Rabbah, you'll see there's a section over there called Zayin Adar. It's good to read down Motzei Shabbat. Some people also fast on Zayin Adar. Not an obligation, but it's something that is done. If a person is interested, he should look into it a little bit more. I'm just pointing it out for those who may be too busy to remember what to do. Next subject that we're going to speak about now is the mitzvah of Mahatzit HaShekel. Mahatzit HaShekel, we're going to spend a little bit more time than we spent on Zen Adat to discuss Mahatzit HaShekel. Let's tell you a little bit about Mahatzit HaShekel. We'll begin from the Torah that people shouldn't mix up and they should understand exactly what's going on. We'll begin from the Torah. Last week's para, last week last Shabbat, excuse me, if you were in shul, you noticed that there were two Sefer Torah that were taken out. One we read the Parashat Shavuah, and the second one we read the beginning of Parashat Kitisa, known as Parashat Shekalim. What is Parashat Shekalim? Parashat Shekalim is where the Torah commands to collect a Mahatzit Hashekel. Mahatzit Hashekel is, as it sounds, a half of a shekel. We get confused because we know a shekel today. Is the Israeli shekel. They call that shekel hadash. So that's not the same shekel that Torah is talking about. The shekel that Torah is talking about, it's a silver coin that had the measurement of 20 gera. We'll speak about that later on. But that's what the Torah commands. Every single person must give a mahatzita shekel. Not a full shekel, but a half of a shekel. Who must give it from the Torah? Torah says that men from the ages of 20 and above must give the and in the Torah over there, you'll notice that the word Terumah comes up three times, as well as the word Mahatzit HaShekel is mentioned three times. Hazal on the word Terumah mentioned, and they say, they point out, that since it says Terumah, there were three collections that were done for the sake of the Mishkan. Keep in mind, Parashat Kitisa is really talking about in the time when they were building the Mishkan. And therefore, there were three collections that were made in the time they were building the Mishkan. First collection was made where each person had an obligation to give a mahatzita shekel, and all that money totaled to a hundred kikar kesef, a hundred talents of silver. 
That was the total weight of it. What was it used for? That was used for the silver sockets called the Adanim to hold up the Kirashim, to hold up the planks of the Mishkan. That's one collection. The second collection that was done in times of Moshe Rabbeinu in the desert was also an obligation to count the Jewish people when the Mishkan was put up on Rosh Chodesh Iyar. The third collection was done not as an obligation. It was voluntary. Anybody who wanted to donate something to the Mishkan could give. And you don't have to give silver, you can give whatever you want. Those are the three collections that were done back then. What was, now, what was the money used for? Well, the third collection, we used it to make the Mishkan. The second time, though, what was the silver used for? There, everybody had to give Mahatid Shekel, and it was done in order to use, to purchase the Korbanot for the sake of sacrifice. We can learn this week's parasha that we have to bring Korbanot. And as we say every single day, we in the times of the Mishkan and the times of the Beit HaMikdash, so the first and second temple, we had daily offerings of animals and different things that were brought in the Beit HaMikdash. Where did that money come from? It's not a miraculous thing. It was done, actually, it was collected by all the Jewish people. And everybody, since the Korban was being brought on behalf of all the Jewish people, so everybody had to participate in sharing its cost. And that's why there was an obligation to collect a Mahatzita Shekel, once a year from every single Jew in order to be part of the Qurban. This was done in the times when they put up the Mishkan and it was continu it continued to be done every single year. And when was it done? It was done in the month of Adar. Why in the month of Adar did they collect the Mahatita Shekel? Because in, when Nisan comes, you have to begin from the new budget. You have to start buying the animals for the offerings from the new budget. You can't use last year's budget. You can't use last year's money. Even if you have leftover, use it for something else. You cannot use it for the every year when Rosh Hashanah Nisan comes. You must uh, use a new collection to buy that year's animals. So therefore, every single year in the month of Adar, we announce Rabotai, Adar is coming up. Rosh Hashanah Adar, bring your shekalim, and everybody would bring it. How much did they bring? Like we said, a half a shekel equaled ten gera. How much is 10 gera? So if you want to know how much 10 gera in our days, that means the weight of gera. Gera is like a measurement. Like you would say pounds, kilos, grams. So gera is a measurement from the Torah. And how much does it equal in terms that we understand, which are known as grams? So you look in Shohan Aruch in Yoreda'a in Siman Shinhei. I'm giving you the source. Over there, Maran talks about redeeming a firstborn. We all know the mitzvah of Pidyon Habin, a very rare mitzvah, but a special privilege. If you could be one of a bechor or have a bechor to redeem him. Over there, we redeem this firstborn with five selaim. A selah is equal to a shekel. And there, Maran says that the total of five selaim should be 30 dirham. 30 dirham. So that means five shekalim equals 30 dirham. Simple mathematics. If you divide 30 dirham by five coins, you get six dirham per coin. And remember, that's one shekel. Half of that would be three dirham. And that's exactly what the measurement of a mahatita shekel is. Mahatita shekel equals three dirham according to the Shohan Aruch, and that's a halakha. Three dirham. What is dirham? Dirham is a measurement that they used to use in the Ottoman Empire in the Middle East for many, many years. In fact, when we were young, and my father used to work in Syria, I used to go and work with gold and silver, that was the measurements that they used to use, not grams, but dirham. That was the way the old jewelers used to use. How much is a dirham? The classic understanding of a dirham uh, is that each dirham equals 3.2 grams, which means that a total of 
מחצית השקר, which is equals tangera, equals 9.6 grams of silver. Good? That is how much every single Jew gave every single year. מחצית השקר, not more, not less, for the sake of buying the korbanot, every single Jew gave 9.6 grams of silver per year. This was a mitzvah always throughout the generations of, then we had a Beit HaMikdash. When the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, and we didn't have any more animals to buy, still there was a custom, not an obligation, but a custom that everybody should bring a mahatit shekel. But where are you bringing it to? There's no Beit HaMikdash. Doesn't make a difference. Since the Torah says that when you bring the mahatit shekel, it serves as a kapara. Oh, you know how Jews are. When it comes to kapara, everything is kapara, especially if it's Fari. Kapara, kapara, kapara alecha, kapara alay. Okay, so kapara, we're very, very big. Comes to Kippur, uh, Yom Kippur, when we come to kapara, we're very, very, we're very careful to make sure to be part of the kapara. So therefore, the Rama brings down in Shulchan Aruch, based on the Mordechi, it's one of the Rishonim, and he says that some say that you should give before Purim a mahatzit min hamatbeya kabua beotomakom. Listen to the words of the Rama. He doesn't say mahatzit a shekel like it says in the Torah. He says, a half of the currency that's used in that place. Which means, if you live in America where the currency is a dollar, it sounds like from here that you should give a half a dollar. And in the times of the Ramah, where he talks, I think it was a, a, a vin, whatever it was, maybe they used a vin, whatever they called the coin. So you give half of that. If you live in a country where the lira is the currency, so you give a half a lira. Whatever the currency is, that's what you give. So if you're in Europe today, you'd give a half a euro. That's the simple understanding of the Ramam. And he explains that this is done as a zikr. It's a commemoration to remember the Mahatit shekel that was given always in the times of Adar. As it serves as a kapara. Okay. The Ramah adds though, something very interesting. He says, since the Torah we find that it says three times the word terumah. So therefore you should give this Mahatit three times. Which means the simple understanding of the Ramah is that you give a half a dollar three times, which is equal, which is equal to a dollar fifty. That's how the Ramah understand. That's the simple understanding of the Ramah. If you read it straight, in fact, there's many people today when it comes to Mahasid the Sheikh, they give for each Mahasid the Sheikh fifty cents times three. That's a dollar fifty. However, Hakam Madia brings from a shoot Bed David. Bed David is an older book that was written about uh, within the last hundred years, and he says he that. The understanding of the Ramah is not that you should bring 50 cents if, mean to say like this. The Mahatita Shekel equals half of the currency of the place that you're living in only if half the currency, even though the half the currency may equal more than 9.6 grams of silver. Meaning, silver has a, has a price. It's always valuable. It has a price. Every year, there's a different price of silver as we're going to soon see. What the, what the Ramah, the way Beit David explains is that the Ramah means that a person should give a half of the currency that's being used even though it may be more than the worth of 9.6 grams. If, however, the half of the currency is equal to less than the worth of 9.6 grams, then it doesn't qualify for Matzit HaShekel because at the end of the day, you have to give the same amount of, or, or equal to the same amount of silver that was done in the times of the Beit HaMikdash. Now, how much is 9.6 grams of silver? So I checked recently. Uh, this was done on March 3rd. That's two days ago. Today went up, I think, by one penny. But basically, one gram of silver equals 68 cents. 
which means 9.6 grams of silver equal $6.54. I just checked today. It should be $6.55. Okay, penny here, penny there. It's not a big deal. But that's how much the Mahatsita Shekel is worth today. $6.55. So according to the Ramah, who says that you should give three of them, the way, of course, a bit David understands, that equals $19.65. Okay? $19.65. That's the amount of three coins of Mahatsita Shekel. However, a lot of Ahronim do bring down if it's very difficult for a person to give the Mahatsita Shekel $19.62 for every member of the family or, or even for himself, so you could be lenient and just give one Mahatsita Shekel because a lot of people disagree with the understanding of giving three times a Mahatsita Shekel. This, was, this has nothing to do with the Zechel Mahatsita Shekel. So, again, the prices are the best if you could give three coins of Mahatsita Shekel, each one $6.55 equals 1965. If not, so you just give a Mahatsita just a half. Just a half a Shekel, which is $6.54. And of course, let's not forget there's still that simple understanding of the Ramah that a Mahatsit, you could also use the half of the currency, which is a half of a dollar. Now, who has to give Mahatsit a shekel? Who's obligated? Before we get to the Bihag, let's understand first what the Ramah brings in. According to the Ramah, since this is learned, we try to emulate and copy what was done in the times of Beit HaMikdash and in the Torah. So the Ramah says you should give only if you're 20 years old and above, and if you're a man. That's what he brings down, because that's what it says in the Torah, men from the age of 20 and above. However, the Mishnah Barah brings from the Tosafot that no, according to the rules of Mahasita Shekel, we're not doing what it says in the Torah, it should be from the age of Bar Mitzvah and above. And again, men. This is all Middin. The Eliyad Abba already brings down, and the Mishnah Barah quotes him as well, that the Minhag though, is to give even for women, and not only even for women and children, but even if a woman is pregnant, you give for the fetus inside of the, of the woman. Why? Like we said, the Mahatita Shekel serves as a Kapara. When it comes to Kapara, like we said, we're all very careful in Kapara. Just like when it comes to Kaparot with chicken, what do we do? We, we, uh, we bring uh, Kaparot even for the infants and, and, and the fetus, and if a woman is pregnant, then we don't know, boy or girl, right? So all of these things are done, right? Because of kapara, same thing over here. He's saying that you bring the mahatita shekel, even if you're, if you're, uh, what do you call it? Even if a woman is pregnant, for the fetus that it has in its inside of her stomach. Okay, that is regarding the minhag. But you should know that you don't have to give the same price for every single person. Meaning, you don't have to give the uh, six dollars and fifty cents or nineteen sixty-two or nineteen sixty-five. Excuse me for every single person, even the little kids. You know, you have to know exactly what your budget is and what you could afford and what you cannot afford. You could give, since it's only a custom for the kids. I personally, I'm lenient. For my children, I don't give the, the full price. For me and my wife, I try to give the full price, the three coins of silver if I can. And and for the children, I usually am lenient. I give either one matzita shekel of silver or 50 cents, three times, whatever it is. There's different levels. Basically, you could choose from Hasita Shekel from anywhere, from 50 cents until 19,062 cents or 65 cents, and who will qualify as Mahatsit as Shekel. Don't worry about it. Don't make such a big thing about it. It's important. It's nice, but you should keep in mind that at the end of the day, it's a, it's a minhag, and don't drive yourself crazy about it. Try to focus more on the mitzvot of Purim, which we'll discuss soon. 
when should a person give machatzita shekel? The best time the minhag is brought down is after the minha of ta'anit estir. Mean to say the day what we fast. It doesn't make a difference if ta'anit estir is Arab Yom Kippur, it's on its regular day, or if it's pushed like this year when we have it on Thursday. It doesn't make a difference. That's the best time to give it. However, you can give it anytime before Purim from the beginning of the month of Adar. And even after Purim comes and goes, and you forgot to give Mahatit Shekel, you can still give it. I saw a big Hadush of Chaim Kanievsky brings down that even after the month of Adar, it's still Kedai, he says, it's still worth it for a person to give. Even though the whole idea was to have as a zikr, as a commemoration of how they used to do it, still that's a Hadush of Chaim Kanievsky. Even afterwards, a person could still bring Mahatit Shekel even after the month of Adar. Now, who do you give it to? That's a big question now. Who do you give it to? The best thing to give it to is Torah institutions. Why am I saying this? Ah, the rabbi is biased. Yes, I am. Because I learned the halakha and that's what it says. <laughs> Let me tell you why. The Svarim bring down that since the Mahatita Shekel used to go for the sake of the Beit HaMikdash, the daily sacrifices of the, of the, of the Beit HaMikdash, so now we don't have a Beit HaMikdash. What does the Gemara say? The Gemara says, Miyom Shehare Beit HaMikdash from the day the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, Hashem has no space except for the four Amot of Halakha. Wherever people are learning Halakha, that's where it's considered a mini Beit HaMikdash. Today we're learning Halakha, it's like a mini Beit HaMikdash. You're sitting in your car, you're listening, you're sitting at your house and you're listening to Halakhot, it's like a mini Beit HaMikdash. So the Kolelim, the Yeshivot are sitting there learning the Halakha. What are they learning? They're learning Gemara the whole day. What's Gemara? Gemara is the understanding of the Halakha. That's where you find Hakadosh Baruch Hu. But the Gemara says, from the time Beit Hamikdash was destroyed, which means as a replacement Beit Hamikdash. So therefore, the best place to give your Mahatita Shekel to is a Torah institution. What do, I, what do I mean? A Torah institution? It's a place where they teach Torah, and it's a place where they learn Torah on full time. And not only that, even if they have a place where uh, you know, in Baruch Hashem, it's been very, very popular. Most shuls have Torah classes, Torah programs. So also there you can give it to because people are learning Torah. What's the difference when they're learning? People are learning it. Of course, you give it to the people who are more needy. That's more Kedai. And also brought down, you can give it also. You don't have to give it to institutions. You can even give it to the Tamidah HaKamid are learning Torah. If you have Abrechim, you have Kolol guys, people learning Kolel. Yeah, these are needy people. How much do they make already a month? They're barely making it. They're barely pulling here a few pennies here and there. So those rabbis or to-be rabbis that are learning Torah, those are the people also that you could give them the Mahatzit HaShekel. Question, can a person give Mahatzit HaShekel from Mahasir? And the answer is no. You cannot give Mahatzit HaShekel from Mahasir. Why? Because since, although we said it's a minhag, but still, it's a minhag that's more like an obligation. It's an obligation, an obligatory custom. And the rule is, Anything that a person has an obligation to give, you cannot give it as, um, you cannot give it to the, uh, from, from, uh, from ma'asir. Meaning, if you're buying tefillin, tefillin is a mitzvah, right? Of course. But you can't buy your tefillin from Maaser, just like you can't buy your lulav and etrog every single year from Maaser. Ah, oh, it's a mezvah, true, but don't use Maaser. Maaser is meant to be given as an, a pledge, and uh, not a pledge, mean to say a donation to to give to people that need it or, or institutions that need it. But you can't give it as your obligation. You can't pay your debts with it. You're, 
and doing misbah zarah. That's one of the halachot that we have to do is also mahatid shekel, and therefore you cannot use your maaseh money for it. Okay. Last few things I just want to say very simple, quick halachot about mahatid shekel. Number one is make sure that you don't say I'm giving mahatid shekel. I get mahatid shekel as a rabbi of the truth, so everybody comes and gives me the mahatid the money for mahatid shekel. So you know I I try to announce it, but you always have this. You should try not to say this is mahatid shekel. Rather, this is a zikher of mahatid shekel. Number two is, uh, the number two is, besides that, also, it's brought down from the Kafa Hayim. He has a very nice Lashim Yehud Kuchabrihu. It's a nice tefillah prayer to say before you give Mahatita Shekel, basically asking God that, listen, we're giving now something in memory of Mahatita Shekel, which should be Zochel next year, that the Beit HaMinah should be around, and we should give the real Mahatita Shekel. And also, Akam Abadiyah brings down, although some people you'll see, I've seen by Ashkenazim a lot, that they're very makbid to try to use the coins from Hatzit Shekel. We have a rule, and that is Shaveh Kesef Ke Kesef. Anything that has the same value as silver can be used instead of silver. Which means that you don't have to actually give coins of silver from Hatzit Shekel. You don't even have to look for it. It's nicer, for sure. It's definitely better. But you don't have to. You can even give the value. Which means you go up to the rabbi and say, here's $19.65 for three coins from Hatzit Shekel. That is also good enough. Okay, that is the last things of Masita Shekel. Okay, I, I get a question. Whoever texted in the question was not clear. Please write more words. I really don't. I don't even see where the question mark is. I don't. Please write more words and clarify your question. Okay, let's go now to the next subject, and that is the Arba Parashiyot. The Arba Parashiyot, there are special mitzvot that we do. On, on, on the, in the month of Purim. One of them is also that we take out the Sefer Torah on Shabbat, an additional Sefer Torah on Shabbat, and four different weeks. And we read there the Arba Parashiyot. It happens to be each one has its own separate reason. And we do it in the month of Adar because that's the best time to do it. We already discussed one and that is called Parashat Shekalim. Parashat Shekalim is done usually the Shabbat before Rosh Hodesh Adar. Unless Shabbat, unless Rosh Hashanah that falls out on Shabbat, so then it's done on Shabbat itself. And like we mentioned, it's done in order to remind us about the Shekalim, about the custom of bringing the Mahatita Shekel to Beit Hamidash. That's what we just read last week, Rashad Pikude, in, uh, in this year. Parashat Zachor, and this we're going to spend time on it. This parashat, the second time that we take out a Sefer Torah, this is done always on the Shabbat right before the holiday of Purim. This can be found in the end of Parashat Ki the last paragraph known as the Maftir over there. You'll see over there it talks about the concept of remembering and speaking out uh, that we have to er eradicate, to erase the memory of Amalek. This is a big obligation. There's all the reading that we read throughout the year of the Torah in the, in the shul on Shabbat and on, on weekdays, that's all mitzvah medderat banan. This mitzvah of reading Parashat Zachor is a mitzvah medderat which means it's an obligation from the Torah to read once a year about what Amalek has done to the Jewish people in order that we should remember that we have to wipe out the memory of Amalek. Because right when we came out of Mitzrayim, where the whole world was shaken up, where the whole world was impressed with what Hashem has done, the miracles Hashem has done for the Jewish people, that wise guy Amalek and his people came 
and they started up with the Jewish people, even though they lost tremendously, but the fact that they came and they showed that we could fight, it's already diluted, it already diluted the effect of the miracles of Mitzrayim. Therefore, Hashem commanded us that we have to wipe them out. When the time comes, we have to wipe them out. And not only that, Hashem made it as an obligation that once a year, we should speak about it, we should read it in public from the Torah to remember it. It doesn't have to be done now, but since the whole holiday of Purim, where we got rid of Haman and his children, they were descendants of Amalek. So that's why we always connect Parashat Zachor to the holiday of Purim, and we read it right before Purim. We read it this year on March 15th, Parashat Tzav. What about women? Do women have to come to shul to listen to Parashat Zachor or not? There's a machloket. According to the Sefer Hinuch, he says, no, women are exempt. Why? Because, what does it say? Why? We want you to erase it. How do we erase Amalek? We just write his name and erase it? That's a nice custom, that's not the mitzvah. The mitzvah is to go out to war and finish off Amalek. Like Shaul Amalekh was going to do, he went out and he fought against Amalek. Who goes to the army? Women cannot go to the army. In fact, there's an Isuda writer for a woman to carry a weapon. Of course, we're not talking dangerous times, but regular for women to go to the army, that's Asur. So therefore, since women do not go to the army, women do not battle, so why in the world do they have to come to shul in order to hear the parasha of Amalek? Because of that, the Sefer Hanuk says they are exempt. However, other Ahronim say, but still, you're, not, you're just hearing it. You're not actually sitting down. Uh, you're not actually going to battle. Just to hear about it, that is a mitzvah. And therefore, the... Uh, a lot of other Haronim hold that a woman should go. And don't tell me it's Mizvat Asish's man Girama. It's not. Because, like we said, it has to be done once a year. We do it now before Purim. So, what do we do? So, what we do is like this as a compromise. I don't know if it's called a compromise or not. You should know, since it's only it's an obligation here once a year, and it doesn't have to be done specifically now, this Shabbat. Personally, when, I, when the ladies used to come to Shul, I know it's very hard. The husband is in shul, and how's the woman going to come to shul? What's going to be with the kids? And you can't push a stroller on Shabbat, and you can't carry on Shabbat. So therefore, what we did is, we made a special reading for the ladies on Shabbat, without any berachot, five minutes, ten minutes before Minha, the men who live locally will go will go down the block, they'll babysit for a second, the woman will come to the shul, we take out a Sefer Torah, without making blessings on Sefer Torah, we just take out the Sefer Torah and we read it. The other thing that we did is, that we told the Baal Kore, we have a special, we used to have a special reading for the ladies, we told the Baal Kore, listen, this is what you do, you go before you read for the ladies at 12 o'clock, whatever it is on Purim, take out a Sefer Torah without any blessings on the Sefer Torah and read it for the ladies. This way they hear Pashat Zachor, which is Midoraita, Safek Midoraita for the ladies or not, and that's it, before they hear the Megillah, that's the best option. Anyway, the ladies go into the shul to hear Megillah, let her hear Pashat Zachor as well. There's nothing that you lose. It takes five minutes. If you have a fancy, fancy hazan, it'll take five minutes and a half. It doesn't take so long. Not even five minutes. It takes two minutes to read a few pesukim, three pesukim from the Torah. That's the best way to do it. If a lady finds herself in shul anyway in the summer, towards the end of the summer, we read parashat ki the rabbi should remember to remind everybody, or even the men who aren't around, a lot of men travel, maybe they're away, they're in places where there's no Sefer Torah, they should remember that you could always be Yotzei Deh Hobat the Mitzvah, and when you hear it also in the summer, when we read in Pasha because you have to hear it only once a year. An important point to keep in mind, that since this Mitzvah is Midoraita, try to give the Aliyah 
to a person who's qualified according to halakhat to get an aliyah. There's a lot of complicated, complicated halakhot regarding getting aliyot on Shabbat, and I don't want to get into it, but usually the rabbi should be hopefully qualified for the aliyah. And it doesn't have to be necessarily the rabbi, but somebody who knows how to read together with the hazan and all the qualifications, whatever it is, he should get the aliyah, do not give it to a child. Also try to use your best sefer Torah that you have in the shul for the sake of Parashat Zachor. That is the mitzvah of Parashat Zachor. Okay, so somebody here sent a, te- a text. He said, why is it that we read the Abba Parashat only on Shabbat? Since you just told me that Parashat Zachor has to be done in order to remember to erase Amalek so we could do it really anytime. So I think what he really means is that why do we read Parashat Zachor specifically on Shabbat? And the answer is that simple. You look at every single shul. I would say 98% of the shuls. When are they more full? On Shabbat or on the weekday? There's no question on Shabbat when people are off from work. And especially most minyanim start a little bit later. Most people come to shul. It's definitely more full on Shabbat than any other day. Right? If you want to just imagine, you want to picture yourself. Imagine you have to advertise for your business. Would you do it on Shabbat or would you do it on, uh, not Sassu to advertise, but would you rather announce it on Shabbat and announce it during the weekday? Of course on Shabbat. On Shabbat you find much more people. So that's why it's been set up that we read it on Shabbat itself. That's a simple explanation. But like we said, you're right, it doesn't have to be on Shabbat. For the ladies, when they come to hear the Megillah, it's always a good idea to take it out for them. To be Yotzei Dehobad, those opinions that say that ladies should hear it on Shabbat, uh, hear it once a, uh, once a week. Okay, next, Parashat Para. Parashat Para, Parashat Hoshah. I see I'm running a little bit short on time. I'll just say very quickly, Parashat Para is always read right after Purim. Usually, I don't want to say always, but usually read right after Purim. And you could find it in the beginning of Parashat Hukat. The idea of reading the Parashat Para is that we have to read about purifying ourselves from the Tum'ah, from all contaminations, especially the severe Tum'ah, which is called Tum'at Mit. And we read it already in preparation for the holiday of Pesach, because in the times when we had Beit HaMikdash, we used to bring the Korbanot to the Beit HaMikdash, and now that we don't have, and therefore in order to bring the Korbanot and to enter the Beit HaMikdash, you had to be completely pure, especially from the most severe Tum'ah, and that is the Tum'ah of being in contact around the dead body. So that's why Korban Parashat Para is read now. There is also a debate if this Mizvah is an obligation in the Torah or not. So therefore, out of Stringency out of Humrah, one should apply all the things that we said by Parashat Zachor over here. That means, ladies, should try to hear it. And you should try to have, um, what's it called, the best Sefer Torah from it. All the Humrah that we said by Parashat Zachor should be applied over here. Although a lot of Ahronim say that's Dirabanan, but still, we why not? If you, if you could do it, why not try to apply all the stringencies, all the Humrah that we said by Parashat Zachor to Parashat Parah as well. The last parasha that we read in the month of Adar, known as Parashat HaChodesh, is read always before the Shabbat, before Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And it's found in the middle of Parashat Bo. And it begins with the words, HaChodesh Zelachim, because this is the new year, as the Mishnah says in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, this is the new year for the kings and for the holidays. Now we begin, once Nisan comes in, we begin the new set of holidays, Pesach, Shabbat, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and therefore... We do it then. This year will fall out on March 29th. That is Parashat Tazriyah. Okay, let's move on now to Ta'anit Asir. If you have any questions, you could call into the station now. We have Baruch Hashem Iran, who's here with us today. And uh, that's BSD Productions, Rabotai. Make sure 
you book your next party. This is a season of parties. You call him, and if you call for the show, you can speak to him and you can uh, you can book him right now. In any case, Tanit Esther, we'll get the call of Tanit Esther. Oh, I should say the phone number. Phone numbers to the station are 718-683-5858. And the phone number to call Iran himself is 347-370-9083. Write it down. Save it. You know of your friend or relative that's making some ha. Trust me, you want to get Iran. Look at the editing. Look at Just go to J Root Radio and look at all the beautiful videos over there. Like last night, somebody was telling me, wow, I love the videos. I said, yep, Iran, BSZ Productions. He works on the videos and... He'll, if you like what you see, you'll definitely like the way you see your video of your Samha. Okay, let's continue now in the Halakhot Tanit Esther. This year, the fast will fall out on Thursday. Why? Because, first of all, what's the idea of the fast? Why are we fasting on Purim or before Purim? Usually all the holidays, we don't fast beforehand. What's the reason over here? And the answer is because if you look in the Megillah, the Jewish people were supposed to be wiped out and killed by Haman and his people on Yud Gimel Adar. And V'nahafochu Baruch Hashem Hashem turned the tables and instead of Haman and his people trying to kill us, we got them. Hashem made it that we should go on and kill our enemies on Yud Gimel Adar. And as a result, what we did, what happened is we went out to war and battle on Yud Gimel and we celebrated on Yud Dalit. And whenever the Jewish people went out to battle, they actually fasted. Why did they fast? Because we need Hashem for Siyat Ismail was a day of Teshubah, and we know that our success is completely dependent on Hashem's assistance. And that's why when they went out to battle, they fasted. And since they fasted as a commemoration for their fast, we also fast the day before Purim. However, if the day before Purim is Shabbat, like this year, you can't fast on Shabbat. It's Asur to fast on Shabbat. Even though five minutes for the sake of fasting, it's Asur, meaning you can't say, on Shabbat, five minutes, I'm going to fast for these following ten minutes, five minutes, such a little time. But you're doing for the sake of fasting, that's forbidden. So when do we fast? We can't push it to Purim. And after Purim already, we lost the time. So therefore, we bring it, push it earlier to Thursday. Why not Friday? Because Friday is Arab Shabbat. Everybody's busy preparing for Shabbat. And if you're listening to Hakha Hour for the past couple of weeks, and we were talking about Halakhor preparing for yourself for Shabbat, that's not the time to fast. So therefore, out of honor of Shabbat, we push the fast till Thursday. And this year, it's falling out on March 16th, a week. Wow, that's a week from tomorrow. That means next week's class, when we talk, we're going to talk the day right before Tanit Esther. So therefore, you should know the times. What are the times for fast? I'm going to tell you right now, according to Sfaradi custom, according to Acham Yosef's calendar, that is 5.59 a.m. until 7.40 p.m. That's the average time. Next week, we'll mention it just a little bit more. Who's exempt from fasting? You should know this fast is a little bit lighter than all the other fasts. And therefore, we're a little bit more lenient, especially this year that we pushed a little earlier. With all that, I have to mention what the what Hazal bring down. Even though we're a little bit more lenient, first you shouldn't just dismiss it without any reason and excuse. It's a time when the whole Tzibur fast. All of us as a Jewish people fast as one nation. So don't stick yourself out. Don't, you know, exempt yourself from the fast if you're not exempt. Who's exempt? Women who are pregnant are exempt from fasting. What is it called that they're pregnant? It means that they are showing. That, or even if they're not showing, even it means to say it's before 40 days. Even before 40 days, if a woman knows that she's pregnant and she's very sick from being pregnant, you know, usually some women take it very, have it very difficult. So in that case, since they're exempt from, uh, since they're feeling very weak and throwing up and not well, they're also exempt. Also, women who are actively nursing. If you're not actively nursing, 
but you're in the first two years of uh, what's it called? First two years of having a baby, you should ask a rabbi. Allah was Hosein, he said that you have to be actively nursing in order to be exempt from the fast. Also, a holesh embo sakana is exempt from the fast. What does it mean, holesh embo sakana? This is not deathly ill, but his whole body is, is very is sick. His whole body is sick. He has to be bedridden. He's in bed, he's lying down, he's he has a fever. Yeah, he can get up to go to the bathroom, he can get up to get himself a cup of water. That's still called since he has to go back to bed. That's called the Holesh Sakanan. He's exempt. And also the following people. A hatan in his days of Sheva Brachot, when we could still say uh Brachot, the first week of uh after his wedding, and the son, the three Balebrit, which are the father of the baby boy. We're talking about the day of the Milam, the Sandak, the one who's holding the baby, and the Mohel, the person who's circumcising. All these people that we just mentioned are exempt from fasting and they do not have to make it up. Other people are exempt from fasting, but they do have to make it up. For example, if a person's not feeling well so much, and without asking a doctor, he just says, he, you know, I'm not feeling well, you could make it up the next day on Friday. Instead of fasting Thursday, you could fast on Friday. But if a person was told by the doctor, you must eat, you're not allowed to fast, he's patur completely from fasting. He doesn't even have to make it up. Last thing is that Shohan Aruch brings down, there's a minhag, the people fast three days, on Bahab after Purim. What does that mean? After Purim, Purim is going to be on Sunday, and Sushan Purim is on Monday. So the following week, Monday, Thursday, Monday, some people have a custom of fasting in commemoration of the fasting that was done in times of Esther, where they fasted three days. Although those three days in the times of Esther were done consecutively, and here with the fasting Monday, Thursday, Monday, still, that's a custom that some people bring down, and I know that some people will love to fast, so therefore, I'm mentioning this for you guys. Okay, let's go now to halachot of Purim itself. We mentioned until now all the halachot that are necessary to know before you come to Purim. We mentioned Pashat Zahor, we mentioned Ta'anit Esther, we mentioned Ma'atita Shekel. And therefore, if you have any questions regarding those halachot, call in right now to the station, 718-683-5858, and we'll answer your question. If you have a question that you want to text in, which is much better, and that is 347-927-8398. Then, now we'll move on to the halakhot of Matanot Levionim and Mr. Rahmanot, hopefully, if we have time. Why am I jumping? Really, in the Benish Hai, I'm going to, according to the order of the Benish Hai. Benish Hai brings the halakhot of Purim Parashat Tetzaveh in the first year. And in, the, in Parashat Tetzaveh, you'll see he has two sections to the halakha, to the to that parasha. And the first section, he talks about Parashat Kohanim. And the second one, he discusses the details of Halachot that have to do with Purim itself. Why am I mentioning it now? Because I thought about it. If I go in order of Benish where he talks about the Halachot of reading the Megillah first, by the time we get to next week to talk about the Halachot of Mishloach Manot, Matanot Levionim, it might be too late. Everybody's preparing already the Mishloach Manot right now. Everybody's preparing the Matanot Levionim. So therefore, you should know what to prepare from now that next week it shouldn't sound too late. We'll begin with Matanot Levionim because that's the way the Shulchan Abruch. Aruch brings it down in that order. A little bit in the background. Pasuk says in the Megillah that they instituted that on day of Purim, it should be a day for uh, giving matanot labionim. Literally means presents to the needy. Abionim means that people are needy. What's the reason? The simple reason is that's the obligation that every single Jewish person should celebrate. So celebrate with the Sauda. You want to give the needy also some money or food. Okay, it could be 
for the sake of their seudah that should also partake. Well, you're the only one who should eat. Everybody has to make, you have to make sure that every Jew eats and therefore we give them these presents on the day of Purim. Okay? So therefore, let's read it inside first from the Benish Hai. It says like this, what's the obligation? Hayab kol adam Every single Jew has to give two presents to two anim, which means one present to each ani. Okay? So therefore, the halakha is one present per one ani. It could either be food or it could either be money. The call hamarbe baruchi here. And the more you give matanot le'ebionim, the better it is. How much do you have to give? Okay, very good. I'm going to give presents. How much do you want me to give? Says over here. If you're actually giving food, then you have to give him the amount of three eggs. Not three eggs, literally. It's a size. Eggs is a size. Which comes out to four, uh, 54 dirham. Multiply that by 3.2 grams. Right, you have about a, a big sa'udah. So this is the minimum obligation a person has to give. We call that, we say about three pitas over here. Three, the, the thick pitas. That means about a bag of pita. I think a bag of pita is about $2, $2.25. So let's say, according to the Ben Shai, about $2. Vimaot, that's if you're giving food, you should give about three pitas. If you're giving actually money, then you have to give shi'ur mipat. Enough to buy... From bread, how much is three pitas of bread worth? About two dollars, a dollar seventy-five. That's how much you have to give. That's the minimum. Who has to give it? Even a poor person who himself is getting sedaka is also obligated to give it. However, the Pihadash exempts him, but still, a person should try to give. Now, even though we, this is the Benish High's opinion, there are actually three levels that are brought down. When it comes to giving matanot le'abionim, and keep in mind, I know there's a lot of ladies that are listening here, and make sure you inform your husbands because ladies, you're also obligated to give matanot le'abionim, even though you yourself don't have to give it personally to the poor person. In fact, most people today don't give the actual money to the poor people. Most people today go over to the rabbi or to organizations and they say, Rabbi, listen, I don't know any poor people. Poor people, you know, here's the money. Please give it out for me on Purim itself, and it has to be done on Purim. So therefore, because it has to be done on Purim, and you're not giving it to any poor person because you don't know really poor people, make sure you give the rabbi enough time that he should be able to distribute it. I sometimes get calls five minutes before Shekiah, literally before sunset of Purim, when Purim is almost over, Rabbi, I didn't do How much is it? Uh, whatever, I tell them uh, the price. Okay, can you give it for me? I'm in my middle of my sauda. I'm busy, I have a whole house of guests, and now how am I supposed to go look for an ani for you? So yeah, there's ways to do it, because you can be mezakeh on behalf, whatever, but you should know, it, it, it's a little bit not fair for yourself also. You might not be your tzayz, but in case sometimes the rabbi is too busy, he may not pick up your phone call. So therefore, from now, we're saying the halachot of matanot levionim, that you should prepare yourselves. And the three levels of giving matanot levionim are as follows. The minimum is not actually what's brought down in Benish Hai. The minimum that's brought down, the Mishnah Barah brings it down, is two prutot. Two prutot is very little. Literally very little. You can't use anything with two prutot. It comes out like three or six pennies. How much could you do with six pennies? How much could a person do with six pennies? So therefore, although that's a minimum, 
It's brought down that the minhag though, everybody gives enough to have a meal. So Ben Ishai says enough to have three pieces of bread. I always say this following, and I, it has its sources in halakha. I say, listen, has shalom, has shalom, the wheel turns, and you find yourself in a situation where you're the ani. You'll be happy with three pennies? Obviously not. You'll be happy with a dollar seventy-five? No, obviously you want much more. But what's a decent thing that you'd consider? Just a little bit of a meal. Imagine the worst comes to worst. You just need a little bit of a meal to have on pudding. What's the minimum? Two slices of pizza and french fries and a, and a soda. So about $6. You can find it for $6. So I tell everybody $6. Is that exact? It's not exact. I just think, you know, it's a little bit decent. If you could do 10, that's even better. That's per person. And who's obligated? Men and women above the age of, of bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah means women or girls from 12 years old and above and men or boys from the age of 13 and above. They're obligated to give each. That's level number two. That's the minhag that's usually done. You want to know the best level to give? Listen to the words of the Rambam. The Rambam says, if a person has a budget for Purim, what should he spend it on? He says like this, Mutab it's better that a person should spend more money on Matanot Le'Bionim than he should spend on Mishlo Manot or for his Sauda. Why? There's no greater and more honorable happiness in the world than to make people who are poor, who are widows and orphans happy. And you're similar, Hashem compares you to the Shekhinah, to Hashem. When you give tzedakah, you give charity, you're comparable to Kadosh Baruch Hu. That's the greatest simha. So I know people that are, that are careful with this halakha. And they will go and ask their wives, how much did you spend on Mishloch Manot? And whatever the price may be, $250, $300, $600, they'll give $601 for Matanot Le'abiyonim. A dollar more for Matanot Le'abiyonim. That's beautiful. They're keeping to the words of the Rambam to give more for Matanot Abiyonin than to give for Mishnah Manot. Because if you think about it, most of the Mishnah Manot that we give are really we're just doing it because we don't want to be embarrassed. This guy is giving me and I have to think, oh no, I forgot to get him. Okay, so let's go now prepare Mishnah Manot and give this person. So that's why the Anim who really need it and should know, you know, you, we, you speak to many people who come over and they, they wait for this day. This is a day when it relieves them so much. You know, a lot of people wait for tax season the people who get the tax uh, money from the taxes back or people who make a lot of money and then they wait for for the um, you know the season of the, of the holidays of the goyim that's when the money comes in but this is what they wait for they wait for purim because that's the day when so much is distributed and it's so beautiful to see you know how many how much millions and millions of dollars are exchanged on purim are given to aniim so therefore if a person is able to try to give as don't just give the minimum Try to give as much as you can. And certainly, if you think about it, you want to be more comparable to the Shekhinah, give more towards Matanot Abiyonim than Mishlawah Manot. But if you are giving to Anim yourself, which you are allowed to, you should know you have to give it on Purim Day. And also the rabbis who are giving it out, they have to give it on Purim Day. Not at night, but on the day, because this is a Mizvah of the day. Also, Although one cannot use ma'asir for matanot le'abiyonim, if he wants to give extra for ma'asir, he can certainly do. If you want to give the minimum, like we said about a dollar seventy-five, and then everything extra, you want to give more than that, than minimum, you can give for ma'asir, that's fine. That's not a problem, because it's also going to tzedakah. Now, who do you give it to? 
the the abyon who qualifies me to say as an abyon or as an ani, it doesn't have to be a person who's living in the street. An ani doesn't have to be a person who's sleeping on the on the benches. An ani is any person whose regular income cannot pay his bills for that year. Meaning to say, let's say he makes three thousand dollars a month and his expenses are thirty five hundred dollars a month. So that's called an ani. You add that by the year. That's, of course, that's a person who doesn't spend on luxurious stuff. A guy who's living a regular salary, a regular life, he's not going, yeah, he may take a little vacation weekend here and there. That's not something within reasonable things. But his regular income cannot make, he cannot make it throughout the year. That's called an avion. And not only that, even a person who has a regular income and things are fine, Baruch Hashem, he pays his bills and he makes it. But something all of a sudden drastic happened. There's medical bills or there's expenses because now he has to marry a child or something crazy happened. Uh, you know, his house went on fire, he didn't have insurance and now he has to pay for it. All that is considered an ani and he qualifies for um, the the uh, gifts that are given. And it could be done even with a check. That's all the post scheme. They brought even the check. Even though post-dated check which is not meant for Purim, they can only collect later on, is a debate between some poskim, some are mahmir, still, a lot of the poskim, majority of poskim, are matir, even a post-dated check for, to be given as matanot labionim. Let's go to Mishraq Manot, we have the last five minutes, and before we finish the class, before we get to Mishraq Manot, I'd like to again, thank our sponsor, Emmanuel's Barbershop, on 623 Kings Highway, like I said before the show, this is my personal barber for the last 15 years and more. So therefore, you can go there and uh, highly recommend, uh, I, I highly recommend it. Okay, let's come back over here to the halakha. Mishloah Manot. What's the reason that we have Mishloah Manot? The Torah Pasuk says in Megillat Esther that they also set up that Mishloah Manot Each person should give gifts to his friend. Two reasons are brought down why we need, why we need to give gifts to each other. Number one is by the author of the Lechad Dodir, Absalom Alkabetz, and he says, you know why? Because we want to increase the love between the Jewish people. To counter Haman's criticism, what do you say? There's a nation that's divided. We want to show Haman, oh, that's how you speak about us, the Jewish people? Why are you criticizing us? Because this guy is saying, this guy is bashing this one, and this one is knocking this one down. You're going to see on Purim, Satan, you're going to see how much the Jewish people love each other. Look how everybody's giving gifts to each other. That's one of the reasons why they instituted Mishloach um, Manot. The second reason that's brought down by Trumat Adeshin and Rishon, and he says, in order to make sure that everybody has a meal on Purim. And sometimes people don't have, and they're, they're not going to put out their hands for tzedakah, they will not accept tzedakah. So by giving them a gift, where you're giving even the Ashir, you're giving even a, a rich person a gift, that they'll accept and they'll have their meal. There's actually a difference between the two reasons it's brought down. According to the first reason that in order to increase love amongst the Jewish people, it comes out, send your Mishlawah Manot without your name, you're not Yotzei Dehoba. Because how would the person know who to love back if you receive a gift and you don't know who gave it to you? You don't know who to say thank you to. You don't know who to be grateful for to. So therefore, you should write your name on it. It should be known. Also, if a person does not receive it, he wasn't home for Purim, you sent it by his door. According to this opinion, since he receives it after Purim, you haven't fulfilled your obligation. So therefore, be Yotzei Dehoba, according to all opinions, write your name on it, and it's better if you can hand to him personally. It'll be great that he'll see you. For Mishloach Manot, you should know 
It has to be food or drinks. It cannot be clothing. Also, you can't give cigarettes. That's a problem by itself. But you can't give cigarettes. Even if you're Tamir Hakami, you want to give him a CD, Hidushet Torah, you want to give him um, a book that does not qualify for Mishloach Manot. Even though the word Manot means gifts, it, does, it means food or drink. But at the same time, you could give canned food only if they're edible. Raw food cannot be given. That means you can't give anything that needs to be cooked. I'll give you an example. Tea bags, uh, uh, you know, instant soup. All anything that you need to cook, you need to microwave, you need to not microwave to warm up, but you need to cook it in any which way, that does not qualify. I got a very good question this week from my cousin. And the question was, could a person use the uh, a dip for a second part of food? Remember, it has to be two foods. It could be either a food and a drink or two types of foods. Even though it's the same beraka, by the way, it could be two types of food. So could a person give a cracker and honey? Where the honey is going to be used as a, is the honey considered as a second uh, manet, as a second thing, or for the same thing, could the person give French fries and ketchup? And the answer is, although some poskim permit it, Hakam Vadia does not, and he says that you should not give fries and ketchup, you should not give apple and honey, you should not give crackers and honey for purim, anything that's used as a dip where it's not in by itself, people don't eat ketchup by itself. You can tell me some people do it. It's not a normal thing. You're not going to go to an occasion and see people just dipping their spoon in the ketchup and eating it. It doesn't work that way. So therefore, anything that's a dip that's not eaten by itself should not be given as Mishlawah Manot, or it should be not be counted. Not that given. You can give it, but it should not be counted as Mishlawah Manot. Another halakha to keep in mind for Mishlawah Manot, then Mishlawah Manot must be given on Purim Day. It must be given on Sunday. You cannot give it Motsa'i Shabbat. And certainly not beforehand. This, though, what we just said, all the halakha that we just said, are only for your minimum obligation. What does that mean, minimum obligation? There's a Mishlawah Manot, from the halakha, you only have to give one gift for Mishlawah Manot. No more than one person. But of course, we all give to everybody because we want to increase love. So therefore, if you want to give people apple and honey or crackers and, and honey or, or fries and ketchup, and you could do that as long as you give one person the required what you have to give. Also, if you have so many Mishlamah Manot to give out and you can't possibly finish it all in one day, so make sure you give some in the daytime and the rest you can even give it out before Purim or even on Lel Purim or Matzai Shabbat itself as long as you make sure you give one according to Halakha. And once we're talking about giving it according to the best way in Halakha, so I'll tell you what's brought down. Some of the poskim bring that since it says Mishlamah Manot, they say that you shouldn't give it directly to the person but you should send it through a shliyah. Again, in halakha, you don't have to. You could give it to the person yourself personally, but since some people discuss it, therefore, we tell you to do the same thing. Try to give at least one Mishlawah Manot in such a way where you give another person to be your messenger to deliver your Mishlawah Manot. And that message, messenger could be anybody. It could even be a child. It could even be a goy. It could be anybody that will deliver your Mishlawah Manot. That's the time that we have for today. Next week, we'll talk about a little bit more Mishra Ahmad, just the last few details. We'll also discuss the halakha of reading Megillah. I'll be here in the studio right now for the next 5-10 minutes. If anybody has a question, you can call in off the air or you can text in your questions. Let me give you the numbers to the station. 718-683-5858 and to text in your question at 347-927-8398. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week. And again, thank you to our sponsors, Emmanuel's Barbershop on 623 Kings Highway. Have a wonderful day.